And you're very welcome to episode 2,432 and a half. <laughs> and I'm 92 and I've been doing this shagging thing for too long. I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Dermot and Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. And you're very welcome to episode 165 of the Irish Photography Podcast. My name is Darren and I'm your host today. And I'm also joined by my new back to the saddle host, Dermot O'Donovan. Dermot, how's it going, buddy? I'm all right, buddy. Tipping along there nicely. Loads of jobs now this week, you know, photography and house related, but uh, I'm wrecked. And, 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 and. Truth be told, I was in the gym for the first time the other day for, for, for in four years, let's say, and I'm wrecked. I'm actually destroyed. My personal trainer just destroyed me for a whole hour, and I couldn't even walk for two days. That's called karma. You obviously deserved it. Mm, I don't know. Maybe. And come here, tell me, you know, um, we've got something actually here to talk about today, and we're not just you and me now, so we brought somebody on the podcast to talk about a fantastic um publication i suppose really and that's norm mccluskey and norm has been on the podcast before with me but i'm delighted now to you know have norm come back to the podcast as well to discuss his latest book which is called kingdom so without any further ado i suppose i might as well introduce norm and say norm how's it going man hi guys how are you good to be back great all together right yeah welcome back welcome back i really enjoyed the last conversation that we had in regards to your previous book which is bear so now i'm looking forward to really getting into the the nitty details in relation to um, the next book, which is Kingdom. Cool, cool. I look forward to it. Excellent stuff. So, Norm, like the the book now, it, it looks amazing from what I've seen. Now, I haven't read it in a whole kind of grand scheme of things, but like, uh, how have you been really since the last podcast? What what have you been up to? Um, well, I think that was during lockdown. I think Darren was it. Um, it could, yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, that, yeah. that very weird time um armageddon yeah but i mean i suppose uh, during that time i was preoccupied with finishing the book right up until right up until last october and then you go into the crazy crazy time of actually going off to print it and then trying to pre-sell it and then you get delivery and then you know you're just you don't stop for about three months uh until kind of january 1st when you can actually take a, a breath um so it's been good it's 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 been a really busy time um you know even during covid the gallery was ridiculously busy um so it's been uh it, it's been a fairly hectic uh time since then i usually try and you know aim to take some time off in january and really take a breather but even still things have tipped over especially when you have a new book it's just it, it seems to even spill over into the new year so uh, thankfully been kept busy um and uh, in relatively good health as well so it's all good 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 stuff and you know we met you myself and Derby there in the most obscure of places up in Ackle and you were taking some time out in a fantastic camper van there I was thinking oh yeah my van's better than Dermot's van and then Norm rocks up in this <laughs> Bellagio of camper vans so yeah how, how did you get on with it did you have a, a good time for that week oh it was yeah it was amazing um it was, it was really I, I loved it I absolutely loved it I, I'd never done anything like that in Ireland before I, I mean I've driven around all of New Zealand but that's a long time ago in a camper van. And I suppose I've always had 
you know, thoughts of doing it. Um, but I could never really kind of justify ever either buying one or devoting myself to doing one up and all that kind of stuff. Um, because mainly I work pretty local. I can generally drive, you know, within an hour or two hours to, mm-hmm. to most. But I love going up the West Coast. I love doing that, that idea of a road trip. And when that company approached me and offered me the van for a week, um, I, you know, I couldn't say no. The only tricky thing was it was so early in the year, you know, as you guys found out, the weather was a bit uh, mental. Um, but I, I, I loved it. You know, I, you know, it was amazing to just completely get immersed in, in, in photography for a whole week. And I was amazed at how the benefits of the flexibility you have when you can, mm-hmm. when you can just simply uh, up sticks and move to a location or pitch overnight at a location and just open the door the next morning and you're, and you're there. Uh, normally when I do these trips, I kind of, I go away and, you know, I do go away for four or five days at a stretch, but I'm kind of, you know, a lot of it would be logistics uh, in terms of getting a hotel or, a, or an Airbnb or guest mm-hmm. house and then finding a restaurant and all that kind of stuff. But when you don't have to worry about any of that, um, and then you have, uh, you know, just everything just mobile. Uh, I, I just absolutely loved it. Um, now, we got hit by weather towards the end of the week. Uh, you guys cut and run back home, but uh, I, yeah. I, oh, I braved it. For sure. Um, no, I didn't. I mean, I, I kind of braved it a little bit. Uh, when it got really bad, I, I, I decided... Uh, that it was no point risking uh, risking the van or me, so I checked into Screep House for two, a couple of nights, but made the most of the days and <laughs> and ducked out. So I had a little bit of luxury, um, but uh, you know it's amazing and and like uh, Norman, sorry, sorry, yeah. Norman, you said you had a little bit of luxury. You had luxury all along. Stop it! Yeah. No, Stop it! In fairness, this dude yeah. had his own espresso machine yeah, yeah. in the van, a double bed, quilted. Oh, stop it. Yeah, no, stop no it. it was an amazing it, it was an amazing thing. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm a bit too long in the tooth for going to, to making things life uh, hard on myself. But um, so this this van was, I mean, as you saw, it had everything. It was a beautiful, it's a sprinter. I don't think you can hire any sprinter camper vans in Ireland. Um, but it's, it's probably a popular choice to, for uh, people who are, who are refitting them and, and doing them themselves. Uh, so it was a great ride. As you saw, it was quite rugged. But yeah, having everything in it from you know, toasters, kettles, cashmere water bottles and duvets and all that. I was <laughs> I I wasn't in any uh fear of roughing it. Um and it was great. It was if I give the, the company a little plug of seaweed and salt water, um they were really, really nice. It's a great idea. And I just what I loved about it is that it was just completely off grid. I didn't have to go to campsites. I didn't have to do anything. You, you had battery, water, shower, everything that would last you for days. Um and uh, yeah, it was it was it was pretty cool, and it was a nice ride. And I was a uh, you know kind of obsessed with the automatic sliding door at the side where where I was walking back from shoots, and I was just pressing the button, and the van door would open, and you'd hop in. Um, no, it was really really nice. So uh, you know, I'd, I'd I'd love to take it again, hopefully in the summer. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a great idea. I'd, I'd highly recommend it anyway. Yeah, and do you know, do you know what? If the, if if seaweed and saltwater are listening as well, like I'd love to take it away for a week as well, you know. So you can, if you want to give me give me a show too, I'll I'll help it out too. It was a fantastic van, I must yeah. say. Like I said, it was the Bellagio of camper vans, and uh, yeah, I'm delighted now that we not only met you once, but we met you twice right. uh, along the trip, you know. So, but you're right, it did get absolutely Baltic, and we hightailed it. But 
you stayed there and you got some lovely shots actually so you can see the benefit of having a van because you can just park it up as you say roll out the following morning and you're on location so yeah i'm an advocate i'm 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 hook line and sinker in the van anyway i know Jeremy is already yeah yeah so, so much so i'm buying another van this week oh really actually. actually probably monday or tuesday hopefully by the time it goes through but yeah i'm getting a 2022 for transit customs oh so. nice We'll deck this out. It's a bit smaller van, but oh, it'll be really fine-tuned to exactly what I want it for, as opposed to the one I have now. So, ah, look, we'll see what happens further down the line, you know? Yeah, cool. Well, we'll yeah. see you on the road. Yeah, 100%. Come here. Look, we're here to talk about the book, anyway, first and foremost. And like I said, I've only seen some parts of it, and I'm looking forward to really reading the whole book and really getting immersed in it. But... um. First of all, congrats on the book. Genuinely, it does look fantastic from what I've seen, like I said. But uh, how does it feel to have it out there in the world for everyone to kind of read, pick it up and just be in awe of the pictures in it? Uh, thanks. Yeah, I know it, it, it's great. I mean, it was a, a long old uh, project. It, it was supposed to be a two year one that ended up being a four year one, thanks to COVID and so on. But that that was great. Mm. Um, it, it, it's a little bit different than than. Bearer, although it's along the same style and everything, um, but it's uh, it's a bit more personal, and I, th- I felt a bit more invested in it. In that, it really is a kind of uh, an homage to the Kerry landscape, which has basically given me everything that I have in life now, um, and I owe so much to it. Um, so it's really nice. It's it's gone. It went really well, uh, thankfully. Um, there was no hiccups. Everything was went really smoothly. Uh, when we did Bera, we had a few technical issues at the start with printing and everything. It was quite difficult, um, and we had to overcome them. But the experience you gain from that, you you put it into your next project. So um, this time around, I was flying over to Italy to the to the factory with a real good sense that you know we've got this uh, sorted from the off. And when I saw the first sheets come off the press, you know, they were absolutely perfect. And that's like, that's like walking into a maternity ward and seeing that your baby has 10,000 fingers and that everything is, everything is fine. <laughs> You're just huge sense of relief. Uh, so all of that went really well. And then all the logistics and everything went well. Um, and then when, when you get it, you know, the pre-sales and stuff were, were, were fantastic. You know, I'm really grateful for everyone's support on that. Um, and again, again, we kind of put our experience into promoting it a little bit better this time. So it got a lot of really nice press, which obviously helps uh, sales because when you bring out a book like that and when you're self-publishing it and with the amount that it costs, uh, I mean, it, it, physically the dimensions and the spec is the exact same as Bera, but the printing costs were twice the price. Uh, so, for example, wow. if I would have spent maybe fifteen grand on a print run, this this cost thirty. Um, so that was a real shock. So it puts a bit of pressure in that you know this has to um, this actually has to work as well as being a nice project. This has to sell. Uh, so that that element of it yeah. went really well. Um, got nice, really nice feedback. And then I guess when you get it delivered. Um, as as anyone who self published a book, uh, you're you're, it's it's a one of those another one of those moments when you open the box of the first one and you take out a few, you know you're always going to see a dud book. There's always going to be one or two in there, uh, but when you start seeing you know five, six, ten, twenty or whatever, then you have a problem. But this time, 
I mean, I think we've got two duds out of you know the thousand or so. What do you mean, like? What do you mean a dud book? Like, like is there like something gone wrong with the printing on it, or or what is it? What a lot of people don't realize is that it, it's still a very mechanical process. If you're there in a in a printer's when you see books being printed, there's guys throwing buckets of ink into a huge machine, um, and when you're printing that many of them, there's going to be uh, little bits that have you know little smudges or you know, a page stuck together or something like that, then it has to go to a bindery, which is a different factory altogether. And it's a completely different process. Um, so you're, you're, you're going to be really lucky if you get like a thousand, two thousand or three thousand books and they're all okay. Almost every printing mm-hmm. um, process and every book has uh, some issues. Um, and they're either issues that you spot at the start or they're issues that unfortunately end up being delivered on a pallet to you and you have to try and sort them out. But the company, the, the printer's idea are generally very good. So again, with Kingdom, there was nothing. So that was a huge relief. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I was just a bit, you get a bit more organized. This, it was my third book. So even down to the logistics of packing and wrapping and labels and everything, you know, I was just a bit more set up where I remember my first book, which is now coming up in nearly 10 years, I was wow. pulling my hair out trying to do, um, you know, five, 600 labels and all that kind of stuff. And you send people a book twice and all, you make all these silly mistakes. Um, so, yeah, it's great. And it's good that it's out in the world. And now it kind of takes on a bit of a different phase of life where it just, nice. you know, continues to sell away. And I'll do nice chats about it now like this one. And you know what, interestingly enough, when I opened the book, you know, there's a fantastic foreword on it by Paul Wakefield and it's headline The Kingdom by the Sea and of the Sea. And it's really, really good reading that. But tell me, how did that come about with the foreword written by Paul Wakefield? Uh, yeah, Paul wrote a nice, lovely piece. Um, I met him uh, quite some time ago at a, a, a conference in the UK. I went to the On Landscape Photography Conference. I don't think they do it anymore. I wasn't okay. speaking at or anything. I, I just went along as a as an interested kind of punter. And uh, at the time, my first book was out and Paul's book had just come out uh, called The Landscape, which is mm-hmm. now widely regarded as probably the definitive best landscape photography book out there. Um, and uh, we had both entered it in the International Photography Awards. And Paul's uh, came first in the category and mine came second. So I sent him a little email congratulating him and basically just said, you know, it's it's no bad thing to come runner up to this book type of thing, you know, very, mm-hmm. you know, just very keeping it very light. And when I was at the conference, which he was speaking at, um, I think it was in a line for coffee, he clocked my name tag and introduced himself uh, and he's a real gentleman. So we ended up having dinner that night and, you know, got on quite well. And I just always admired his his work. But when I was doing Kingdom, one of the overriding themes of the book is is about connection. You know, it's about my connection to the landscape um, and, you know, the connection to the, the, the work and the theme of the work that I do. So one of the things I wanted to do when I was thinking of someone to write a forward was that they also have to have some kind of connection to carry. Um, with Bera, I had Liam Neil Jordan. And he has a house here and he's made films here. So he had a, a real, but actually Paul Wakefield has photographed here quite a lot. Um, and he's made some amazing work, which unfortunately was reproduced really badly in books in the 80s and 90s. Um, okay. uh, I, I, I got my hands on one of them that he did with John Morris. Um, and uh, 
one of the pictures in it was a place that is literally one of my favorite locations to go to that nobody else goes to. And I thought he made a real effort to find this place. And he, you know, when we talked about a couple of locations, I realized he knew Kerry kind of really well. Um, Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, yeah, he's got a genuine connection to the place. Uh, So I emailed him and asked him to do it. And he very graciously did, uh, which is really nice. Um, It's just it's just a nice thing to have, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Someone, you know, that has uh, a real connection with the place and then someone that I have a huge respect for and admiration for. So, yeah. Yeah, and and you're not even reading it, you know. It it is really good because it brings you into the book. But then straight after that, you know, you get your own intro, and your own intro. You kind of alluded to it a moment ago. Is that how thankful you are to the kingdom of Kerry because it has really, you know, sculpted everything within your life. So it seems like a very very heartfelt message. Like, how has Kerry captured your soul? Besides the kind of the obvious things in relation to, you know, you live there and it, you've created a business in there and such like that. But what is it about Kerry and the kingdom that has really captured your own soul? Um, well, it, it like it goes back. It goes back right to the very start. I mean, I, I was brought to, to Kerry as a baby, only a few weeks old on holidays. We used to holiday over on the other side on the Dingle Peninsula in Castle Gregory um, in a little caravan there before there was any other caravan. So it, they, we, we go back to the kind of mid late mid late sixties uh, of our family, and we all it, it was just a very special place for us, um, mm-hmm. and you know so that was that was always part of kind of my upbringing. Um, but when I when I came back to Kent when I came to Kent Mayor, uh, I didn't really know this side of Kerry at all. Uh, but it was a hugely profound experience moving here as a like a twenty year old. I was I grew up in Limerick City. Um, at the time, there wasn't a whole lot. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot going on for me there. And when I landed in Khmer, you know, I may as well have landed on Mars. You know, it was just so different, so beautiful, so open, so friendly. It was. I had an incredible time. Um, and apart from all of the, the good stuff and all the partying and everything we did. I was just bowled over by the landscape. So it really, mm-hmm. it, it struck a chord in me straight away, which in turn made me open my eyes and maybe my mind and subconsciously drew me to photography, um, which then in turn has given me, you know, an incredible life. I mean, I've had a career uh, in, in photography now for, uh, you know, the last 28 years or so. Um, and now I get to, you know, just take pictures of the landscape as as my job, uh, which I, you know, every morning I, I'd still have to pinch myself. I'm incredibly lucky to have that. Um, and, you know, there's not a time where I don't look out the window and realize, well, it's all because of this place, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel that I owe a huge amount to it. Um, I've, I have a huge respect for, you know, the landscape and not just Kerry. I mean, pretty much all the West Coast of Ireland, I just feel I've real, real connection to it. Um so so yeah it's 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 given me a, a huge amount and it was nice to try and um put it all together in a book and try and express that i mean the thing about there's there's a lot in there there's a lot of me in this images there's a lot of me in the the edit there's a lot of me in the book and stuff but you don't necessarily have to see that and understand it and read it as if you were um it works on a few different levels i think on a subconscious level it probably does come across that there's a bit more going on than me just picking out well-known places. Uh, I'd like to think that. Um, 
but I don't have to, you know, overtly say that in every single image, it doesn't necessarily have to be about me. But I think there's probably a subconscious thing that at some stage the viewer will pick up that, you know, there's there's a a bit of a deeper kind of kind of theme and a message going on here with this collection of images. It's not necessarily a guidebook. It's not a an A to Z mm-hmm. of Kerry, and it's it's not a you know your best Instagram shots. You know, so um, so so in, in want of a better word, it's a connection. Just like you said there, like Paul Wakefield had a connection with Kerry. It sounds. Like you have a massive connection with Kerry also, but here's a bit of a, a question for you that might, might might blow your mind. Like, but the question that I have for you is: you have a connection with Kerry. What is your biggest connection on the west coast of Ireland or anywhere else in Ireland? If you couldn't go to Kerry, where would it be? Uh, well, if I wasn't here, I'd be um, not far from where I met you guys, probably in Connemara. Um, okay, and it, it's it's not necessarily that it's it's about a place. It's, it's sometimes when when I'm working, um, it's it's really just, and it's hard to quantify. And, and sometimes I, I don't really talk about it too much because it can sound very fairy. But I, I do feel a genuine, real connection to places. And when I'm when I feel that connection, I stay there and work. And when I don't, I kind of move on. Um, and uh, the west coast of Ireland, there's, there's there's a few bits to it. I mean, when I was, I suppose it's probably one of the places that I first traveled to outside of Ireland, outside of Kerry, you know, in the early nineties and had never been kind of up further than, you know, La Hinch. Um, and suddenly I was, you know, driving around, uh, Connemara and Clifton and those areas. And I was absolutely blown away by the beauty of it. And again, they're, they're kind of real, uh, defining moments and you kind of realize, yeah. And then when you go back to them, uh, you know, over the years, like I'm a very nostalgic person, so there's a bit of nostalgia in there as well. Um, but I just get a great sense of peace, and and uh, I just love working in that in that type of landscape. It just suits me. It's kind of soft, but yet dramatic. Um, the, you know, there's a huge scope for interpreting the landscape yourself, um, and I like to pick out details which, you know, they they could be anywhere, but I know that they're all up there. Um, you know. Like I photographed the cliffs of Moher when I was still in college about, yeah, 26 years ago or something. I've never photographed them since. Oh and I took, a, I took a picture of the cliffs. Uh, but it's for me, it's like, I don't know, there's, I don't feel that there's anything that I can personally add to the cliffs of Moher images, if you know what I mean. There's no scope for interpretation there. Um, all of the best pictures of the Cliffs of Moher have already been made, you know. Um, and would you like your own one, though? No? I, 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 not really. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. I, it's it, it's funny, and I, I'm I'm always conscious of this when I talk about it that I, I come across as kind of arrogant or dismissive. It, it's not that at all. It's like I, I really, really try and concentrate on making work that is just that I'm going to say something about it. I mean, I could obviously go along and I could work out the spots where all the best pictures are taken from and I could yeah. go along and take some images. I just don't feel I'd be saying anything about me in, in that work. Um, that's not to say that I don't go to some locations that everyone has been to already. Um, but if, when I do, I try and see if there's scope to interpret it. Um, the way I would like to see it, um, and if I can say something about it. Um, so, 
so yeah, I mean, I, do, I get that feeling um, when I'm in when I'm in Connemara along the way. I just think the whole west coast of Ireland. I, I, I was fascinated with it as a kid um, when I used to stand on the back beach in Castle Gregory and just look out to sea. My mind just be blown by the fact that you could get in a boat and sail and and you could end up in Newfoundland. You know, that is just really mm. and and that's that kind of thing. You know, the idea of geography and and the, the amount of people who went before you and all that kind of thing. And the fact that we're at the edge of Europe and I just find the West coast of Ireland is, is, is pretty special. Um, I've been to Wexford and I've been, and I lived in Dublin for a long time. So the only place I could go was Wicklow and Glendalough. I never, ever got a sense of anything Connection. that I wanted to make images there at all. Uh, so it's, it's nice to be out there and that's, you know, it's it's nice to have that overall connection, I guess. And, and you know, speaking of a connection, I mean, look, you know, you've been in in in, in Kerry for a long time. You've a lot of photographs you've taken over the years. So, like, how hard was it, and how many images did you end up picking um, for the book for Kingdom? So, how many images are in the book? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I think there's about 120, uh, maybe. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's fairly dense in terms of, uh, you know, I haven't really wasted much paper because the paper was so expensive. Um, <laughs> I, I would love to do a nice arty photography book where I have, you know, an image opposite a blank page all the time because I, I think that's probably the best way to view photography in a book. But, um, you know, the, I, the other thing I really like doing in this process, uh, and it started with Bera, is the idea of um, pairing images and having a narrative come through in an overall collection. It, it, it's quite hard to do, um, but I really enjoy it. And what it does is it, 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 it really focuses you, for excuse the pun, but um, you, know, you know that you have to then tell a story rather than just throwing in you know, your best picture after best picture or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're not relate to each other. So in Kingdom, a lot of the pairings, they're very subtle. Um, some of them are about light. Some of them are about location. Some of them have a little bit of humor in them, you know, where I've, you know, you might see the image of uh, the standing stone is opposite the church spire. And like, you know, I thought it was very clever contrasting and juxtaposing mm-hmm. paganism with, mm-hmm. with, with, with organized religion. Um, yeah. But like that might go over everyone's head um, and that's fine. You know, no one might, no one might get it. Or there's, you know, there's an image where there's some bog cotton and it's opposite a mountain where it has little wispy little bits of kind of cotton-like cloud. Um, these are the king. These are the kind of things that I would, you know, really spend a lot of time thinking about, but which you know might pass by the viewer. But that's fine uh, because, you know, that's that's the part of the process that I really like. Um, but yeah, I, I would, you know, you'd end up with thousands of images it's quite difficult uh, to to narrow it down. But I, I, I start that process very early on. Um, I'm one of these okay. photographers who would edit very soon after uh, shooting. And I, I don't mean necessarily processing. I mean editing as, as in I would mark images. Um, mm. And I will, I will mark them either for uh, that, they're, that they've worked and that they can go into a folder to be looked at later or that they haven't worked and I need to revisit that place. Um, so that process starts okay. very early on. And tell me this, so like you said, you've got 120 images for the book, which is 
in, in the grand scheme, of, that's a lot of images, right? For mm-hmm. me to choose 120 photographs of my own, I think I would struggle to make my own book. So you, as a professional landscape photographer, you know, you get to travel to all these different places, right? So you should have a flurry of all these images. So how hard was it to fine tune to say it? It's a kind of an ongoing process. You, you, you edit as you go along. Um, it, it is quite difficult in that uh, there, was, there was times when I had to make tough choices in that there were some really, really nice images that I just had to leave out. And every now and again, I would kind of post as the process was going on and I might post an update to, you know, some social media saying, you know, and mm. doing an edit and this one has just been cut and people would be messaging me going, are you crazy? Like that's, you know, that's a really lovely image. How, why isn't it going in? But, you know, that's fine. And I, I the beauty of, I suppose, doing it yourself uh, is that you get to make those decisions. You're not really under any pressure from anyone else. Uh, but there is the worry of um, whether you're doing the right thing or not. I don't have an editor, so being your own editor is sometimes fraught with problems. Um, but I think uh, when I look back at it now, there isn't a single image um, that I would change. And there isn't a single image in there that's a filler. Um, you know, a- every image is relevant to my experience in the landscape in Kerry over the last 30 years. Um, and every image, you know, is, is there on its own merits. Um, but it's it's a, it's a tough thing. It's it's definitely not easy, but it's it's a part of the whole process mm. that I that I really enjoy um, and seeing it all come together in the end. All right. So it's a square format book, Norm, right? So how many square format images are there? What is the decision around this format? Like, like what brought you, like, why wouldn't it be your typical kind of landscape kind of book where it's like, it's longer on the edges rather than being square. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm fluffing this question, but yeah, why, why did you decide to go to square? Okay. Format? So why, why are there so many square images there? Um, well, <laughs> I, I've, I gravitated, uh, towards shooting square format images. Um, I suppose pretty soon after I, I switched to digital, I had, uh, shot square in, you know, my formative years when I was able to use Hasselblads and so on in, in college. And I always liked it. Uh, I was then shooting 645 and Bronicas for a long time, which is a format that I never really mm. liked. Um, so with the ability to you know, crop in camera and set your camera as square, I just found that this was something that was far more interesting uh, to me. So it, it, it crept into my work over the, over the years, you know, and I slowly kind of weeded out the ultra wide, you know, 16 mil, you know, uh, four five format or six, for format um yeah and then uh i guess again i suppose the formative kind of idea of this was, was in Bera where it worked quite well i mean it, it's an upright uh format book um which i kind of really like uh and then when you do that you are actually kind of limited to the you know the scope of, of images you can do there are some panoramics in it and double page spreads and there are a couple of um upright images uh, but I really like shooting squares. Uh, I, I I find it um, it just suits my own personal uh, preference for for composition. I find them more mm. aesthetically kind of pleasing. Um, I know that if something works as a square in the landscape when you're looking through a viewfinder, which you have to work to make it work. So I know that if there is balance in there, and if the composition is pleasing, and if it works for me, then I'm pretty sure you know it's worth making an image of it. Um, and that it will work. Um, whereas 
I think um, if you're looking through the viewfinder of just, you know, whatever your camera is normally set up at, whether it's four by three, um, you can you can kind of sometimes miss things creeping into the frame and so on. Um, and you can kind of rely on the same formats again and again. Now, there is a lot of re- repetition in my compositional style as well. Uh, but I just really like the idea of it. Um, and it's just it's something that's kind of. I suppose suited suited me, and I think that's the best type of compositional style you can have, which is something that reflects yourself rather than trying to conform to you know the ideas or the rules or yeah, yeah. anything out there. Um, so yeah, so a lot of, a lot of squares in there, and then matching squares can can sometimes work uh, really well. Um, uh, you have to be careful about you know horizon lines and you know different yeah, different yeah. different formats. But uh, yeah, no, it's 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 good. I, I really enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. I struggle. I struggle with uh, crop one to one crop ratio. I I I have never delivered a decent picture. It's always been kind of like your prototypical six by four, you know, kind of orientation. Uh, you know, it's just I know it's something that I really need to work on myself, John, moving forward. Yeah, it can be challenging for sure. And you know, I think if you're thinking about taking the image as one to one in the field, that makes it a lot easier, Norm. I think rather than trying to crop an image later to fit into one-to-one. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people always ask me this. I'd always have my camera set to a, a square crop. So I don't, I, you know, I view it in the field like that. Um, and that, that really helps you. I, I, I don't think I'd see half the images if I was trying to crop them uh, later. Um, and it means that, you know, you, you move around to get a more, a uh, uh, more pleasing composition you have to work the angles a little bit better um and uh yeah i'm not a huge fan of of, of cropping later in post if it if it kind of doesn't work in the field for me then it just doesn't work mm, absolutely okay so norm look what we're going to do there is has been fascinating insight in the first part of the uh the podcast we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back because i want to get into a bit more detail in relation to the different styles that you would have applied to put the whole book together cohesively so yeah we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back after this If you're enjoying this episode of the podcast, why not jump over to iTunes or Spotify and listen to the back catalogue that we have of some great episodes where we talk about photography, gear, and some excellent guests along the way. Thanks very much for listening and for watching. We'll see you on the next one. And you're very welcome back to the Irish Photography Podcast. And yes, we are still here with Norm McCloskey. And we're going to jump straight back into it, Norm, because I'm really kind of blown away by some of the stuff in this book. And there's some fabulous questions I want to uh, pick your brain with. But first and foremost, look, the color palette that you use has a great cohesive feel. Like what part of this design criteria are, are did, did it evolve? Like how did it evolve? Uh, again, I guess it's probably a, a kind of a natural thing. It it, it might be. Um, I, I've never really thought about it consciously. It it might be influenced by the time of year I I, I work in. Um, you know, in Ireland, especially in Kerry and the places that uh, that I photograph in, we've we've two seasons, which is brown and green for about you know <laughs> wet or dry. <laughs> yeah, brown for about ten months of the year, and then two months of green. And um, so that has always led me. I mean, you know, look, I was a black and white film photographer for 18 years, so that never mattered. Um, and now shooting in, in working in color predominantly, um, it, it doesn't form, you know, me a, a lot. I, I, I enjoy it. Um, and I 
I guess over the years I've refined the color palette that I work in, but it's just been a natural process in that, you know, when I started out, um, like everyone, you, you, I would, you know, be getting excited and running towards amazing sunrises and amazing sunsets and trying to get the maximum amount of color and saturation and everything. Um, uh, whereas now I, I kind of move away from that a little bit. Uh, so it's a bit more subtle so that, you know, so color isn't the predominant thing unless it's quite deliberate. There are a couple of images in there where, you know, color is very important. Um, but uh, otherwise, it's I suppose it's just a natural kind of subtle thing to let, um, I suppose, the landscape speak for itself without sometimes the distraction of overriding colors and too strong colors. Uh, I would actually, mm. I, I guess, I would actually probably desaturate my images a little bit um, more than anything else. I mean, I don't do a huge amount of processing. I, you know, we've probably talked about that before. Um, but one of the things I would probably do if, if the colors were quite strong is, is I would be kind of toning down on colors um, and particularly blues because I just don't really like them in, in the landscape and blue skies and so on. So that can agree. be quite limiting. I would definitely agree with the blues. Hundred yeah. percent. I, I I always, especially on drone images, for some strange reason, uh, the DJI Mavic Three, like you have to reduce, and the two, you have to reduce the blues because it's just, it looks yucky. It's mucky. Yeah. So it's it, look, it's just a personal thing, and it just evolves. It evolves naturally, um, and then I guess when you, when you find a way of working that you're happy with, and find a style of imagery, um, you kind of tend to stick with it, and. Uh, as I said, it, it's very influenced by the landscape that I that I work in. If I was to go to, you know, Namibia or something tomorrow, uh, I would probably have a, you know, I most definitely would have a completely different color palette to work with or Morocco or something. So, you know, then you, you'd need to really think about it. It, uh, my, it wouldn't work there, uh, what I do mm. now. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of informed by the landscape that, that's in front of me, really. And, and you know what, it works really, really well throughout the whole book, Norman. I think, you know, it's a, a testament, as you said, to the Irish landscape. And I think, yeah, the two colours that we have are absolutely apt. And you can see that within uh, the, the overall book. I suppose the next question I have for you, and then you, you alluded to it a moment ago when we were talking about the one-to-one -one cropping. Um, scattered throughout the book, there's some beautiful double-page spreads. So what made you consider those images to be the ones that would get the double-page spread? Was it something that you had, that you had shot in that... Um, orientation or was it you know what this is going to work and this is what i want it to be so how do those ones and why those ones um yeah well i think i w when you're laying out a book like this i think it's important to have a little bit of variety so that it's not uh, it doesn't come monotonous um it doesn't come repetitive so i am kind of conscious of of interspersing a lot of the squares with with some panoramics and that's a very deliberate thing and you would literally lay out a grid at the start of your book and i, I would have had that at the start where you know, I know I'm going to open on, you know, X amount of squares, then I'm going to go maybe to an upright, then there'll be a, um, a, a double page spread. And that could either be a panoramic or it could be a full double page spread. So I would tend to lay out that grid at the start of a book. Um, so that kind of informs me that, okay, I need a, you know, I need a panoramic or I need a double page spread for, for this spot here. Uh, again, then you go back to your, you know, your selected images and which ones you would like to see in the book and you choose from, choose from them and where you place it in the book then again is down to, I suppose, the, 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 the storyline or the narrative that I have in my head. And a lot of the time it's, it's either about, you know, color space going from kind of, 
uh, cooler to warm and then back to cooler again, or um, there's a kind of a ge- geographical idea. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a bit of kind of uh, trial and error, really. And you try some images and you see which ones work in, in which place. But they're nice to do. I mean, it's difficult in that when you do a double page spread in a book, you have the awful spine down through the middle of your image, which, you know, is it's, it's hard mm. to, to get over that. So you're, you are kind of mangling one of your images, um, but you hope that it works. And I, and I think in most cases, uh, you know, certainly in my books, it, it has worked okay. It's never really been an issue, but you have to pay a bit more attention to where you're going to place it. And there are some images that just yeah. won't work if you have something really crucial in the middle of your image and you, you know, the spine is running through it, then, you know, it's not going to work. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, me, my own kind of, like, with all my photos that I have, like, your, like yourself, whenever I shoot an image, I like to edit it nice and fast and get it up there, like, you know, and for the whole world to see, like, but in later years, now I found myself kind of having a bank of images that I mightn't release to the world or I could release a couple of months later. And here's the question, the reason why I'm asked, saying all this is, like, for this book, was it a selection of images that you would have had in the bank for years prior? Or are all these images kind of all freshly shot? Like, when you woke up and said, I want to make a new book for called Kingdom, did you go out and shoot all those images? Or would you have some there kind of stored away the whole time? Um, no, I start off, I'd start off the project with the intention of, of shooting everything fresh again. Uh, it is wow. very important for me, especially with a book like this, because it was, you know, uh, it, I could have got very lazy and just thrown a collection together of images that I'd done uh, over the last, you know, 30 years. But it wouldn't have made sense because they were made at different times in my life. They were made when I was a completely different photographer, when I had different experiences. The really important thing when you're doing a project like this, if you want that kind of cohesive feel to it, is that the work I, I feel has to be made, you know, with a purpose, has to be made with an idea in mind. Um, so you you set off, and and the I mean I've been very lucky in that from the moment that I'd start a project, you know, from the first shot that I'd go out and 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 make, I have an idea of okay, this is the type of work that I'm going to make for this book, and this is how I'm going to shoot for the next whatever three years. It was a bit easier with Kingdom because it was very deliberately a follow on from Vera whereby um, I was kind of, I felt a bit more confident to make more personal work because of the success of Bera and because I now had a model where I knew that, you know, even financially this thing can work because I can sell it in, in my gallery if, if no one else was going to buy it. Mm. It'll, it'll just tip yeah. away there. So I didn't have the constraints of having a publisher to uh, answer to or a commercial market to, to you know, satisfy um so yeah so you you get to start off and you get to kind of indulge yourself in making a certain type of image um for the duration of the project and that's really nice now in saying that so the the vast majority of images were shot for kingdom but then about a two years into it i realized that if i was to really you know truly kind of tell the narrative and the story of my my experience in the landscape in in Kerry over the last 30 years or whatever uh, it would have to include some images that have been formative and really really influential and so on and I suppose one of them ones in my head was that I wanted to somehow work out how could I get you know a particular image my uh, called Skellig Moon into the book 
and how would it not stand out as a, an outlier and a bit of an odd one because everyone would know it's, it was made 10 years ago or whatever. Uh, and then I realized, well, actually, I couldn't disperse the book with maybe half a dozen or eight or nine images that were made throughout kind of the last 15 years um, and that were very special ones. Um, and that was that that was actually really nice for me to do because I had these images. They didn't form part of any other book project or anything. They were very important ones for me. They were nice pictures and they'd done well in the gallery, but now they were going to have a home in this book project and they slotted in perfectly. Um, there, there, there's nothing there that's too jarring or anything in terms of the, the work made for the book. So, yeah, so it was a mixture of both. Um, but I think if you're to kind of retrospectively uh, go back and try and come up with a project out of the library that you already have, whether that's made over five or 10 or 15 years, I think you're going to end up with a project that looks like that. You know, there's there, you, yeah. you as a photographer are going to change, your gear is going to change, your, you know, your locations are going to change. So it was very important for me to, to have a fully cohesive feel through the whole project. And you know what? And it really comes together very well, Norm, you know, and it sums up, you know, as you said a moment ago with Ireland and our seasons, you know, I mean, to kind of go out and in fair play to you to go out and get all those shots. But you now had to go out in all different conditions. So as a photographer in Ireland, we're used to a thing which happens nearly every single day, which is rain. So my question to you is to get those shots, because there's some of them here that you are, I think, absolutely soaking to get those shots. So, yeah. How wet did you get? Uh, yeah, look, it's it's all part of it, really, isn't it? I mean, uh, I like I, I long ago kind of embraced the the hardships of of Irish weather, but then again, the more I've done this, the more I've been able to afford different layers of Gore-Tex and better boots, <laughs> and you know, it's just about being equipped. I mean, I can remember the very early days heading out into the landscape in desert boots, jeans, and a woolly jumper. And just just being like, you know, 10 minutes away from Mountain Rescue hauling me off a mountain type of thing. Um, Because I I was just completely not fitted out for it. But now, um, you know, now now it's it's part and parcel. And, you know, some of the most incredible experiences I have had where I've been out in a mountainside. You see the mother of all downpours coming towards you and, you know, all hell's going to break loose. And you literally just crawl into a ditch and you hunker down and, you know, yeah. you just hope your camera bag's going to stay dry and you let it pass over you and then you get out and, you know, you're, you're, you're still fine. So that's all part of it. Um, but the wettest I did get, and I did get very, very silly wet, was for making an image which is called Fallen Branch. And it's a, a quite a minimalist picture of just a, it's a long exposure of uh, just a branch in the, in the lake in Canary National Park. And I came across this image just at the end of, a shoot I was doing in another location in the fog at a great morning and I just couldn't leave this behind me I, I I just spotted it from the footpath but I didn't have my waders on I had you know I had nothing so I tried photographing it from the path and it was there was no way I could get an angle that worked uh, really? so eventually I just literally had to just suck it up now this is winter time so I took the boots off and I literally just had to wade, oh, wade into gosh. the water in my waist, up to my waist. And it was along, there was a walking path right by. And every other walker or woman that passed by just thought I was, had absolutely lost the plot. Um, and I had to stay in the water for 
about 15, 20 minutes to make this image. And uh, it was starting to really hurt. I mean, the, the, I, it, was, it was a bit of a daft thing to do because I couldn't walk for about two days afterwards. My muscles oh, had just went into spasm. And then, of course, I had to walk back to my car, which is about 15 minutes away. In the, so everyone I met on the path just saw this idiot walking along, <laughs> squelching with these big, huge outdoor trousers dripping with water and my boots in my hand. But, um, you know, it, it was worth it. it it's it's a, an image that I really, really like. And I would be kicking myself, Trash. you know, if I if I left it behind. But it's all part of it. That, that, you know, we're, we're in Ireland. Weather is, you know, no different than anyone, anywhere else. So it's uh, you, yeah, you got to dress, sure. dress for the conditions. That's the main thing. Yeah. Come here. Let's talk about some of the images in the book. And some of them kind of stood out to me now that really kind of um, I felt a connection with. Um, now, the first image that's like, and it's funny you're talking about you know, a, an image being laid out between two pages, you know, the line down the middle. Does this be a detriment to the picture being in the book or not? But Immersed Forest is one of the images that you had, which is a two page image. And it just it's really, really nice. I love how the reflections kind of, you know, they're not exactly perfectly still. So they give kind of a bit of a texture to the water or so slightly. Now, for that image, it looks like you got in the water because I can't see any kind of uh, jetty or anything like that. So talk me through a small bit of that, that image and how you got it. Yeah, this is, uh, it's an image that I've had in my mind for, for a long time. I actually, I first saw this kind of picture and the potential here when I was making Parklight you know, um, back in 2014 or so. It's on Ross Island and anyone who knows the lakes, you know, when it rains, the, the water level of the lakes rise and fall rapidly. Um, and this is a this is a kind of a little inlet um, which uh, floods and, you know, the landscape changes dramatically whereby, you know, the shore disappears and just a whole little inlet floods with all these trees. Um, it looks relatively shallow, but you're right, I, I am in the water and for this one, Knew it. for this one, I'd say I was about chest high with decent waders, but I was in the water what? for. I was Did you the, say chest high? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, I was a bit in the water for oh about an goodness. hour or more. Um, so it's it, it's quite a difficult one because if you, if you see the image, there's a lot going on with these trees coming right yeah. down through your composition, and to get that right, it's it's not. I don't really do a lot of this type of work in in where I'm you know really really working hard for a composition but I had to yeah. I had to for this um and it was kind of quite precarious because wherever I was uh, if you stepped kind of six inches one another way you would just drop another foot uh, so I was trying not to get um soaking but uh, it was it was really nice so I was there wow. at before dawn so I, I I got in the water when it was pretty dark um which was a bit um you know, a bit freaky, but, uh, you know, I kind of wait, waited out into my spot. I thought I was going to get some spectacular, you know, kind of directional light, but there, there wasn't really any until the sun had risen, you know, about 10 degrees up. And then, um, mm. then I just got a nice kind of almost diffused light, uh, which was nice because there's no harsh shadows. Um, and it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's one of those ones that work. I think an image like this, it, it gives the viewer, a different perspective it's one that has actually done quite well in the gallery and I, I actually didn't think it would because I just thought the compositional elements are quite strong for people but um, a lot of people really respond to it and I think it's the idea of the 
perspective in the water that works for people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can see the fine line yeah. of, um, I mean, the the uh, the spine uh, runs right through, but I had to be very yeah. very careful that it just didn't clip that tree. So tree. It, it, yeah, it, it, knew you it. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Fair so, play. Yeah. Fair play. Thanks. Moving on to the old Weir Bridge. Now, this is definitely one of my favorite images that I've seen to date in the book. Now, it's it's like a mirror image of like if you flip this picture upside down, you would have no idea. You would think it was just the exact same picture. And I love the detail of the trees and the hint of green on the landscape on the bottom. And then it just draws your eye up right up to the middle of the image where you've just kind of this tiny little bridge, like one of something in one of these old fashioned films or something. Yeah. It looks really, really nice. And I, and you know what? what's weird about it? And a lot of photographers will give out to people saying, oh, you've no detail in the sky. It's all burnt out. It actually suits the image so nicely with the blue tones and everything like that. It's it's a fab image. Well done on that one. Thanks. Yeah, it's a it's a lovely spot. Um, and again, this this goes back, and this is the beauty of of doing a, a book like this is because I, I, you know, I'm leaning on the experience of all those years of photographing in this place. Um, and this was somewhere where I visited many many times uh, during mm. uh, the making of Parklight, and I'd oh I had this idea of getting early morning light directly on the bridge. Uh, to light the bridge um, and so on. And after a while, after about two years doing it in for that project, I realized the bridge never gets early morning light. It, it's, it's, it's always in shadow by the time yeah. know, the sun, sun rises. So I kind of had to compromise for park light and I, I threw in one where I just had a rainbow there. But I, I came back to this location uh, time after time uh, over the years. And this particular morning was just very... You know, it was perfect because I had that huge amount of fog. This was actually made on the same morning that I made that fallen branch one that I was telling you that I waded into the water for. Oh, oh. Uh, so it was made just before it, and um, yeah, it was uh, it was a great morning that actually yielded I think about four images in the book. It is it was one of those ones where you just come home really really happy. Um, but yeah, the symmetry works quite well, and the light was really nicely diffused. That bit on the right hand side is is always green, so that's that's quite nice. Um, yeah, and, it's a nice contrast. Uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 a long exposure. Um, there is a little bit of uh, kind of blurred water bubbles in the foreground, but it, it, it kind of works quite well. Again, it's it's an image that I think has resonated a bit with with, with viewers. Mm. Um, there's a bit of romanticism to it and a bit of mystery. Um, but the compositional elements in it work quite well. It's quite balanced as well, which I think, you know, is one of the important things. If you have balance in an image, that's that's very important to, For sure. to achieve. Yeah. And speaking of romantis and you know mystery, the skelligs. And like the, you you alluded to earlier on about you know different images that you put in within the the book itself. But the skelligs is something that's so fascinating to me as a photographer, but to many people worldwide as well. And there's a number of images within there in the skelligs, but there's one in particular which is the skelligs shimmer, right. and that is one that really 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 jumped out to me, Norm. And I was thinking, how did he get out there to be there at that time when the water is absolutely beautifully calm? But the way you captured the shot is phenomenal. Talk us a bit through about, about that one in particular. Uh, yeah, that was this was quite a nice one. This was in that was made in two thousand and eighteen, and it, it's just one of those ones. I actually I don't kind of go overboard on planning images. 
I'm a, okay. I'm I'm quite a uh, make it up as you go along and a bit more of a responsive type photographer. I I just get out in the landscape and see what the landscape is trying to say to me. But every now and again, there'll be an image that I might have in my head that I think, um, you know, has potential. Um, and I'd, I'd been out to the Skelligs once before this trip. And uh, I guess this particular summer when I saw, we, ha- we had um, one of these big, huge blocking highs coming in. So you had the ability to, um, to, to make a forecast. And I, I just thought, I always had the idea of what if you could get a reflection of the skelligs in the water. Now I knew that was impossible from land because obviously it's so far away. So you had to be out there. Um, so I, you know, I, I was ready in, in that I'd made inquiries about chartering one of the boats. So I had to charter one of the, the boats that is normally used to bring, you know, the tourists out from 11 o'clock onwards. Um, ludicrously expensive. Um, but, you know, I, I, I guess I was kind of rationalizing it in that, uh, you know, if, if, if this image worked for me and if it worked as well as I think it could, um, over time, it's going to pay for itself. And, and then, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. So there's, there's times when it's worth, you know, kind of investing in a single image. It might seem fairly obscene to some people to spend that much money to try and just do one shot. But it was an incredible experience. We left Port McGee at about three or four in the morning. My skipper was late, so I had to ring him. Um, and I was absolutely frantic on the on the pier. Uh, there was no sign of him. He was coming from Cahar Savine. And eventually he rocked up. And the guy is so laid back. He's like horizontal. And we, we just both stepped in the boat. <laughs> he just... Uh, we, we, we cruised out of the harbour. And the, the sea was so still... I could see reflections of the stars on the water oh, wow. in the ocean. Oh, it, it, it was like we were, it was like you were floating on air. Um, and it was actually kind of disorientating almost when you're heading into the black. Um, the, the skipper had, he'd been on the, the ocean his whole life and he'd never seen a morning like it. You know, he'd never experienced anything. He was so quiet the whole time and he's quite a chatty chap. Um, I just knew at times when he, when I saw him just stopping and staring out into, I thought, yeah, this is pretty special. Something special. Um, I had permission to land on the island, so we did a landing um, uh, before sunrise, and I shot the sunrise coming up over the little skellig. It it, it kind of worked, but it wasn't really what I was after. And I asked him if we could head back out to sea, turn around, and wait for the first light to hit the island. Um, and you know, we just idled there for a good while. I told him turn off the engine and let everything settle around us. And as the sun rose, I just kind of leant over the boat. At a, it was on a 1DX, I think, and autofocus, which is completely against what I'd normally do. Um, and uh, I just started shooting away while the camera was about an inch off the water. It was getting little splashes in that, but I thought, you know, it's, mm, it's it, was a, it, was a, it was a 1DX, so it was well, well protected. Uh, and I pull it up every now and again and wipe everything and then go again. So, um, yeah, it's great. And it, it's, it's, again, it's one that resonates with a lot of people. I'm, I'm delighted to be, have, have included it in the book because it was a kind of an image out on its own. Um, but it was one of those ones, which I think is a once in a lifetime uh, event, Absolutely. you know. 
absolutely and you know what i mean like you say a once in a lifetime event but not only that but you're able to capture it and capture it so well it definitely needed to go into the book and i think yeah you know that's one where you kind of went on a big adventure but there's another image actually that i want to talk about where you probably didn't have to go on that far an adventure which was over kenmare you know so you've got uh under clouds yeah um yeah this this is quite a nice this is taken from just a, a small a small mountain which overlooks kenmare called Muxnow. And it's a place that is actually quite, uh, I have a lot of, you know, attachment to because it's, it's probably the first little mountain or hill that I ever climbed with my camera and, you know, right. took, took, took some wide uh, views, uh, which weren't very good, but um, local landowner that we know and, you know, the locals kind of know to give him a nod or ask and we can, we can rock up through his farm and there's a little path. It's everyone in Kenmare walks up here. But on this particular morning, uh, I just took a chance because it was completely fog, foggy and pretty grim looking, uh, you know, <clears throat> down in the town and, you know, from my house in. But I just, you know, chanced that if you get up high enough, you might actually end up above the clouds. And I, I haven't had much luck over the years with cloud inversions or anything like that. I'm not one of these real thrill seeker guys that will hike up Karen Tuchel at okay. two in the morning, you know, uh, yeah. I will camp out, but and I, anytime I've camped out, I've never, I've never got the look of, <laughs> of the cloud inversions. So this was really nice to just walk up through it. Um, and uh, again, you know, it, it just, it, it is that little bit of a mystery thing that, you know, that you're able to say, well, Kenmare is down there. It's the town is, it, it's a very recognizable view if the fog wasn't there. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, the whole idea of, like Kenmare's name in Irish is Nadine, which means little nest. And I just think, well, this is a, you know, a very, a very kind of apt and descriptive image uh, of it. Um, and it was nice, you know, it was, it was a nice experience. But I just thought, uh, I suppose, aesthetically and compositionally, it quite, it worked quite well as well. And it, it it's mm. opposite that other image, which kind of plays on, even though the other images are foreshore images, the idea is that there's a pattern of kind of, that look like clouds in the for, in the foreground. And they were they were paired together in the, in the book like that. Hmm. Excellent stuff. And tell me, Norm, have you got a favorite image? So we've given two of each of ours. Have you got one that's your favorite? Or have you more than one? Oh, it, it, people ask me this all of the time in in the gallery. I just I find it the, the hardest uh, question. Um, and I, I, I what's I, your I favorite should, child? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I should have um, I should have an answer by now. I mean it's 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 very difficult because a lot of the time my favorite images are the ones i've just made you know um you know i i i yeah. would be very attached to kind of newer work and i i it's i'm i'm still buzzing from the experience and and everything um and i find looking back uh over you know catalog or looking back over my library of images um i find it hard to differentiate between uh images they're they're all unique experiences there are some images I think that are, I suppose, definitely photographically better than others, but I don't actually look at my work that way. Um, you know, I, I, I rarely enter competitions. I rarely try to judge my work on, you know, the, the kind of accepted criteria and so on. Um, so a lot of it is very personal. Um, but, you know, there are like, look, this, uh, an obvious one would be my Skellig Moon image, which, you know, in itself, I 
you know, I might owe everything to Kerry, but I, I, I owe a hell of a lot to that one image, which has been mm-hmm. so incredibly successful for me over the years. And I still think it stands the test of time, even though, you know, look, the, uh, when I made it, it was quite unique uh, to the point where everyone was assuming that it couldn't be real, that it had to be photoshopped mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, of course, the, there's a prevalence of, the, of those type of images out there. Everyone is shooting the moon um, in front of and between and on top of everything. Um, but that, at, that at, at the time, and look, it's, it's something that I'm still quite proud of. Um, and I, I really, if I look back, I kind of think, you know, how successful would the gallery have been if I hadn't got, you know, a, a solid banker of an image that you absolutely mm. knew you were going to sell X amount in over time. And, you know, without it being, you know, too crude and relying on the financials, um, I can't dismiss that that image has been, uh, uh, you know, a very successful one for me and it's been nice. But yeah, I mean, on any other level, I find it very difficult to actually pick out uh, a favorite image. You know, there is stuff that, like, to be honest with you, some of my favorite images, no one is, people have never seen because I have never put them out there or published because they're, you know, um, so uh yeah it's it's a it's a difficult one which i i never seem to answer <laughs> hmm. properly right so come here the the, the front cover of the book is it's, it's it's genuine it's just so stunning it really kind of um plays its part in an art design um it's very similar to Bera and its team so tell us about the idea and how you came up with the kind of the design of the cover of it uh well i had this idea of um Initially, I wanted a bit of consistency, so I've 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 a number of books in in, in my head in this series. So I, I wanted you know something to kind of um, carry through all of them in, in a design element. Bera was worked really well in that. I I think there's there was there was very little, if I, if anything, out out like it at the time on bookshelves, and it was really stark. And the cover itself worked extremely well. So I wanted to kind of play on that. Uh, whereas Bera was all black and it had the gold foil or the copper foil detail, I thought mm, for Kingdom we, we would flip it and we would do an almost negative version of it where the majority of the book was kind of more uh, a brighter, shinier material and then the the, the graphics would be black. Uh, so that was my first idea. Um, and then the actual material that I found, um, the gold uh, kind of mottled material, I actually discovered that when I was over in the factory in Italy printing Bera. So when I was waiting for the sheets to come off the press for Bera, you have like maybe half an hour or an hour between sheets. And I would be just flicking through swatch books. And uh, I remember my designer just messaged me saying, how's it going? And I said, uh, yeah, it's going great. Uh, I've just found the material for the cover for the next book. And he's like, Jesus, you're, you're mad. We haven't even got the first one done. So and I, I knew it straight away. The minute I saw it, I, th- I said, yeah, that's, this is, this is it. That's it. That's um, it. Yeah. And then I had the idea uh, of what it would look like. Uh, and we just had to kind of just finesse. So again, it's, it's, it's just quite minimalist. It's, it's um, I suppose, you know, without using an image on a book, it's kind of, it's kind of hard uh, to, I suppose, represent what's in there. But the idea I like the idea of the texture because, you know, I like a tactile feel to when you pick up a book. But the idea, the play on Kingdom and, you know, the gold cover and all of that, there's a few little subtle or not very subtle things. 
Um, but I wanted it to feel and look, um, you know, like a nice high quality uh, book that's well put together and for it to look quite unique. And I, I, I think we've, I think we've definitely achieved that. So yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite happy with it. Yeah, a hundred percent agree, you know, and I mean, the front of the book is phenomenal. It draws you in and we've discussed a number of different things here in relation to what's inside the book. And, you know, it's been great to hear the stories behind every single image, Norm. So um, with that being said, where can people get their hands on this fantastic book? Uh, now, um, it's predominantly through through my website. Um, the, I had a limited run of it available for bookshops, and uh, but when you self-publish it, and with the with the cost involved and everything, that was always going to be a limited run, and that was basically to just serve the Christmas market, because a lot of yeah. bookshops will want to take forty, if not fifty percent, to the cover price, and because the book was so expensive to produce it started to not make um, any sense whatsoever to do that. So uh, it's available on the website, which is normanmccloskey.com. Um, and uh, obviously through the gallery in Kenmare, which is always uh, the nicest way to come and buy a book because you get to flick through it first. Um, and all the, all, the, all the books that I uh, send out, they're all signed. Um, so that's probably the easiest thing to do is, is the good old interweb. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and if you're in Kenmare, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, if you're ever in Kenmare and you don't go visit Norm's Gallery, then you must have had your wrong glasses on because <laughs> it is something that you do need to do when you're in Kenmare, for sure. Absolutely. I've, I've been there. I was there a long time ago, but I was there. Yeah, I need to go back again. But Norman, come here. Before we finish off the podcast, what's next for you? What's your next plans? Like, what are you, going, what are you doing tomorrow? What are you eating for our dinner? Like, you know, tell me more. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I, I am a sucker for jumping into the next one. And I, I guess I had an idea, um, you know, in my head of, of a series of books printed out. So I, I tend not to be able to sit around and not do stuff. So much to my wife's uh, horror, I, <laughs> I, I, jumped, I jumped into making uh, the next book already in, in about the 3rd of January. Uh, I headed off to West Cork, which is going to be hopefully the subject of my next book, um, which would be the landscape of West Cork. And uh, yeah, I mean, she was saying like, you know, if I hear the word book or new project again, I'll I'll scream for a year. But uh, yeah, I kind of I, I tend to just have to dive into them because um, it's just the way I, I really like working. So I've started that and that's probably again is going to be maybe a two or three year project. Um, but as you know, seeing as how you've, you've met me, I, I have been dragged up the West Coast uh, in the last few weeks. I've been up there twice um, just by, you know, just, I suppose, a desire to, to get into a landscape and do something different as well. Um, and I'm planning another trip up in a couple of weeks. Um, so I tend to be getting drawn back up there, which is really nice because I'm making a kind of very different work that are, are kind of standalone images. And that's really nice to do as well. I'm, I'm really enjoying that, the fact that they don't have to be theme-based or project-based or anything. They can literally, I can literally just go somewhere for a day to make one image uh, or a couple of days with one image in mind. And uh, so I'm kind of being dragged up um, there, I suppose. Um, but other than that, we're, we're uh, preparing to kind of open the gallery again full-time for the season. Uh, at the moment, we're open weekends. Uh, and, you know, the talk is that it's going to be another busy year ahead. 
So I'm actually kind of printing and framing and everything at the moment uh, to try and get a bit more organized this time and have a stock made, which is should free me up in the summer a bit more. Mm-hmm. And um, but uh, yeah, but I, I'm it's 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 kind of all good. Um, I'm working on a few other kind of projects for commercial based ones with a really nice interior design agency that I'm doing a lot of work with, um, which I love because that just involves you know, sending them files and you don't have to do much work and yeah, then do all the printing yeah, and, yeah. you know, I'm working with a really nice, uh, really good printer in, in London and New York on a couple of projects. Um, so yeah, but, um, just trying to get out there and cause I mean, over COVID, I guess my wings were clipped a bit in that, whether it was restrictions or whether it was so busy in the gallery, which ended up being crazy. And I realized that I missed, been on the road a lot and since i've come back from that trip in the camper van uh i just realized that that's actually all i want to do is just be out there <laughs> I knew taking it. pictures i knew know? it i said it i said it i said it i was like he's going to want to do this 20 more times yeah, because yeah. like you say it starts a podcast it's so easy to roll out of bed and just take a photograph yeah so um yeah i've just i've got i suppose it's renewed um but look the reality of doing what i do and running a gallery and so on is you have to, you know, you, you have to run a business and you have to make the products and, you know, you have to print and frame and box mm-hmm. and ship. So that does require a commitment. But uh, hopefully I'll, I'll kind of structure it a bit more. Every year we're getting a little bit better at structuring it. And I suppose the priority for me is to have um, prioritized time out now rather than time inside. So, mm-hmm. um, uh with with a bit of luck that that will work um that'll work a bit better this year so um well yeah. you, you, by the by the sounds of it norm you know you're going to have a very busy 2023 and a very busy 2024 so i mean with that in mind i suppose thanks very much for taking the the time to out of your busy schedule you know to talk to us today about your fascinating book kingdom it's been great to hear the stories behind it i hope that we'll see you on the road now more often that you're now going to be more spending more sure. time out than in and um, yeah, look, you know, hopefully uh, again, you know, when you get the next book done, we'll get you on as well and we'll discuss that. But it's been a fascinating conversation and thank you very, very much for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And thanks for having me. Norman, genuinely, thank you very much for coming on. And come here, it was a pleasure to meet you up in Ackill again and uh, look forward to seeing you on the road. Yes, yeah, well, I'll look out for your new van. Oh yeah, you won't know it because <laughs> it's going to be a stealth camper. No one's going to know. And with that note, thanks very much, everybody. And until the next time, Shlong Fall. Hey, guys, if you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week. And remember, keep shooting.